lady, chapter 25, and I want to begin reading to you, <coughs> excuse me, in verse number 24, Matthew 25 and 24. Then he which had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I know thee that thou art a hard man. You're reaping where thou hast not sown and gathering where thou hast not strawed. And I was afraid and went and hid thy talent in the earth. Lo, there thou hast that is thine. And his Lord answered and said unto him, Thou wicked and slothful servant, thou knewest that I reap where I sowed not and gather where I have not strawed. Thou oughtest therefore to have put my money to the exchangers, and then at my coming I should have received mine own with usury. Take therefore the talent from him, and give it unto him which hath ten talents. For unto every one that hath shall be given, and he that hath, and he shall have abundance. But from him that hath not shall be taken away even that which he hath. And cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Would you all pray with me right now? Jesus, we love you, Lord, and your word is what really keeps us. And I thank you for it, and I'm asking you one more time to help me take this word and spread it this morning, God, amongst this congregation so that there's people here can leave changed by the power of your word. In Jesus' name I ask you. And everybody said amen. You may be seated. One thing I'm very happy about is they have a clock back on that back screen that says 1124. And the reason they have that up there is so that I'll hurry. I wish it'd work. <laughs> now it's already 1125. As quick as that thing's moving, we'll be out of here by Christmas. Praise God. I, um, I've grown up in the church all my life. I love the Word of God. And it seems like as I've grown older that there's some things that have come popped out of stories of the Scripture that were there all the time, but they were kind of like the under-message of the real message. And such it is is what I'm going to be preaching to you from today because quite honestly, as a kid growing up, when I'd hear this story taught in Sunday school, or if I'd hear a preacher preach from this story, and if your Bible's like mine, it's one of those where the words of Jesus are in red letters. What I just read to you is all red letters. So these are the words Jesus actually spoke. But I have to be honest with you, the story bugged me. Because here's the story. The story starts out, and Jesus is telling them this. He said, this is how the kingdom of heaven is. It's like a man that got ready to travel to a far country and he called his servants. He brought them together. He got one of them up there and handed him five talents. He handed the other one two talents and he handed another one one talent. The Bible says he gave it every man according to his several ability and then he took off. The fellow that had the five talents went out and he was a brilliant man and he invested, he did whatever and he started using it and making money. Two-talent guy did the same thing. The one-talent guy went and hid his in the dirt. He remembered where he put it, but he hid it. I'm going to take care of it because, you know, after all, the master gave this to me. 
Now, we don't have a lot of particulars in this story. In fact, if you're reading the Gospels a lot of times, and this one's in the book of Matthew, maybe if you read something, you can go to Mark, Luke, or John, and it'll also be there. But Matthew's the only one that recorded this, about these five, this two, and this one talent guy. And so it is that when the master comes back, he calls him and he says, um, I, I want to I see what you've done. So Mr. Five-Talent Guy shows up, and all of you kids that's been in Sunday school like I did, you know what happened. He said, look here, you. I started with five, and here's ten. I've, I've, made, I've made you five more talents. And when he does, that master looks and he says to him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Now I've heard enough preaching in my lifetime to know that I like those words. That's what I want to hear when I get to the other side. And that's what you want to hear when you get to the other side. I can't prove this, but I, I, I want the three of you stand up there. Brother Brunson, Brother Merrill, y'all, y'all stand up. You stay down, Brother. Let's just to say that this is what we've got here. Here's five talent guy. He just got ten. I've got a feeling they were probably standing side by side. And two's thinking, well, I didn't make five. But I at least got two more. So in proportion, I did the same thing. And so he says, here I am, Lord. I, I brought my two. I, I, I did it. And, oh, man, that master keeps standing over a minute. That master, he's so happy. He says, oh, well done, well done, well done. I identify with the last guy. Brother Merrill, hold your hand up. That's one talent guy. Okay? That's who I always identified with. I'm going to tell you one of the reasons I identified with a one talent guy because I, I didn't know I was nearly blind. And mom and dad hadn't figured that out either. Uh, you can tell now by looking at my glasses that I depend on glasses to see very well. As a kid, my dad, I found out later in life, would tell mom, there's got to be something wrong with that kid. I'd get on a bicycle and run it into everything. I wrecked all the time. Um, I, dad had come out to play ball with me. He'd throw the ball and it hit me. And I couldn't catch it. And he told mom, I don't know what's wrong with our boy, but something's bad wrong with him. I was always falling. I was always running into something. When I say falling, I was tripping. I knew what it was like to go to school. At our school, Harrison Center RV, we had four classrooms, eight grades. And we had no electronic bells or anything. And, and we had basically two games we played during the year. One of them was softball, our version of softball. And when it gets so cold that the bat would sting your hands and it was just cold, too cold to do anything else. Then we had a version of somehow it was soccer combined with football. It was just vichy rules. That's the only way I can put it. I know what it's like to be standing there and they're choosing up and Cox always got chose last. I promise you try hitting a baseball or a softball when you don't see it until it's about two feet in front of you. Tough to do. And in fact, it wasn't until they sent a school nurse around and I was in third grade. And when they 
sent the note home, said, we're going to be testing your children for vision, you know, sign here and let your parents sign. Y'all can have a seat just for a minute. When they sent that note home, my dad gave me and my sister real good instruction. Now, don't you go in there and lie on that test because it was the cool thing to wear glasses back then. Don't you know if you go in there and lie, they'll catch you at it. I said, yes, sir, yes, sir. I wasn't a liar anyhow, but he had already made a believer out of me about not lying. It was a little belt that he wore around his waist, and it worked. I, I couldn't even see. I could just barely tell. They asked us. They had all these little E's on a piece of paper down there, and they were turned different ways, and when they said, you got to point which way that E is turned, you know. I could barely make out that great big one at the top. I got one out of all of them right, and that was the top one. I hit one of the others by chance because they'd say, which way is it turned? And I'd do them, you know, this way, and I missed them. They sent a home, a note to my mom and dad, said your son is basically blind. Dad got on to me, did you cheat? He started in all this stuff. No, sir, Daddy, I didn't cheat. I don't know how, but I, I, I just... He said, I'm taking you to St. Louis, and I've got doctors up there. They'll know if you're lying or not. When I came out of that doctor's office after he had put that little machine up there and did all those little twisting and gadgets, I told him, I said, I didn't know anybody else could see like that. I said, Dad, that guy put a little bitty letter way down at the end of that hall, and I could see it. He knew then I was not cheating. I remember what it was like to get chose last every time because I couldn't hit a ball. I couldn't catch a ball. If it it had run into me, it would be all I could do to find it because I was almost blind. According to statistics or however you say it, I'm considerably legally blind without glasses, but I see very well with them. I said that because I identified with this number one talent guy. I didn't know how to play ball like the rest of them did. I didn't know how to do the other things. I could outrun them all. I know you don't believe that looking at me now, but I could. As long as I didn't trip on something. If it was a good open field, I was all right, you know. But uh, I, I was one talent guy. This guy shows up. I've been in his place before. He's over there thinking, i got to come up with some kind of story. Because these guys have done good, and I've just got a dirty talent. I just went out and found it a while ago. I remembered where I'd put it, and I brought it back. I still got a little dirt where I hit it. And so that's where I picked up reading to you a while ago when he said, Lord, I knew thee. Now, I learned a long time ago, if you're in trouble, it's not a good idea to say what he said next. He said, you're a hard man. That's, that's not the right thing to say to win friends and influence people. Then he said this, you reap where you haven't sown and you gather where thou hast not strong. I'm like, you are really a dummy. What he's essentially saying is, you're a thief. You're hard and you're a thief. Nobody likes to be told that about themselves. But he said, I, in fact, I really, I, I told you I'm just country boy. <coughs> I had to find out what he meant when he said you gathered where you haven't strawed. What I found out was when they'd get out there and they'd beat those, those grains 
you know, those stems and the grains that come off the top, well, you had to throw away the straw, if you will, and then you gathered up all the good. What he was saying, let me put it where some of you folks can understand at this time of the year. I used to, I, I used to love to sit down with Brother Merle Ewing and eat. When we'd eat boiled crawfish, Brother Ewing wasn't like me. I got to pop them open and eat them, you know, just, but no, sir. He was going to take and peel crawfish until he had his whole plate rounded up just with tails. And then he'd put his special sauce on them and stir it up and away he'd go. I'd sit there and I'd be looking at that and think, boy, it'd be nice. About time he had that thing heaped up, I could get his attention over yonder and I could grab that plate of crawfish and just eat all those tails. That's what this guy's talking about. Y'all got what I'm saying? He said, you've reaped where you didn't sow and you gathered where you didn't straw. I'm like, man, dude, you're crazy. You shouldn't have done all that. But watch what is... He said, so I was afraid I went and hid the talent. And the Lord answered. His master is Lord. And this is his answer. He said, thou wicked and slothful servant. Obviously, buddy, you hadn't done well when the Lord starts talking and calls you wicked and slothful. This is the Lord now talking. He said, thou knewest that I reap where I sowed not and gather where I have not straw. And all my years of being in Sunday school and hearing that taught, I had overlooked that verse. Because I've never known my God to be anything but good. But this which I consider a type of our God, if you will, Jesus is doing the talking. He said, I, he, he didn't own up to being a hard man, but he said, I will reap where I didn't sow, and I will gather where I didn't straw. Wow. Let me just put it like this. So often we bypass some real truths in the Scripture of God because we're hurrying up to get to the end. I figured out whether I'm right or wrong. This is Cox's opinion. That those talents that this guy handed out are perhaps symbolic of the grace of Almighty God. You see, there's a story that you can find in the book of Luke chapter 7 and and, and I'm not going to read from there right now other than to tell you a little bit about the story. There's a guy who's real religious. His name is Simon. And he hears about this fellow Jesus who's doing all these phenomenal things. And he says, think I'll have a dinner at my house. Now, I'm going to put it in Cox language next. And I'm going to make sure that the newspaper editor knows. And I'm going to make sure that... Uh, that the reporter at the TV station knows. And I, I, I want a few people who are good gossips to show up there because I want everybody to know that I've got Jesus at my house today. He's Simon the Pharisee is what the Scripture calls him. And so he invites Jesus for a meal. While they're there, in comes a woman who is not invited. She just shows up. 
The scripture says about that woman that behold, it's in verse 37 of chapter 7, a woman in the city, this is how it says next, which was a sinner. When she knew that Jesus sat at meat in Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster box of ointment. Verse 38 says, she stood at his feet behind him weeping and began to wash his feet with tears and did wipe them with the hairs of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. She broke that alabaster box. She anointed. You know what bothers me about that scripture? I like what she did. But it's so important that the writer, Luke, got it in there. That physician, that one that was keen to details. He didn't tell us her name. He just simply said, a woman in the city which was a sinner. Pardon me for saying it, but I don't want to be known in the city as a sinner. I can remember growing up in that little community where my dad was pastoring in Vichy, Missouri, and there was a fellow there whose name was Lou Packizer. He was always drunk. He basically, he had a little hut that he called home, but he, most of the time he stayed in his car. He'd come around our house, and I'd be standing there by my mama, just a little boy about Noah's age. And he'd be saying, He'd look at mom or dad or whoever's there. I'd sure like to take Kevin fishing with me today. Nobody enjoyed fishing more than I did. But I was like, ooh, mom, dad. I didn't say nothing because I'd already had enough of that belt on my backside, you know. <coughs> but I was like, ooh, oh, oh, no. I don't want to go with Lou Packizer. i go with somebody else. Well, of course, they had enough sense. They never let me go fishing with Lou Packizer. And I'm grateful to this day. I said that because I'm trying to get you a picture of this woman. Everybody in that city knew she had a bad reputation. And in fact, in verse 39, to prove what I'm saying, if they can put it on the board up there, Luke 7 and 39, when the Pharisee which had bidden him, at Simon, saw it, he spake within himself and said, this man, referring to Jesus, if he were a prophet, he would have known who and what manner of woman this is that touched him. Look at that last five words. For she is a sinner. It's quiet in here right now. She had a horrible reputation. But what Simon didn't realize and what the others of that crowd didn't realize that day was simply this. She may have had a reputation, but they didn't know what his character was. She came in with a repentant attitude. She came in with tears flowing down her face and actually washed his feet with those tears and dried them with her. What was she doing? I'm totally convinced she was repenting of every sin she had ever done. Why? Because
Because when you come in contact with somebody who is the Holy One, not just sort of holy, not just part holy, but the Holy One, when you come in contact with Him, everything in you that's sinful has got to get out of the way. That lady learned about the grace of God. I love the story of the prodigal son. I read it again this morning after God began to deal with me. It's it's an incredible story. It really should be called the story of the prodigal father. But it's a story about a son who asked for his share early and went out and blew it all. He became a sinner. I'm going to put it in my words. When he left town, there was an Old Testament law that they were living under that said a boy that did what he did, all the town could get together with the elders and they could condemn him and stone him to death. Could it be that's why the father was standing watching and waiting and when he saw that boy coming back home, there was something about that father that knew that boy's going to come home one day. I don't know what day it's going to be, but I know what I like about the father. He said, I want to have a fatted calf ready. I'm farm boy enough to know calves grow up and become cows and bulls. But he said, we're going to have a fatted calf ready. I don't know how long the boy was gone. I don't know how many different calves they turned loose in the pasture and said, now get this one fed up because my boy is coming home one day. Whoo, I love it. What an incredible story of a father that says, I know my boy has done wrong. I know my boy has been in sin, but he's coming home. (coughs) And when that boy got in that hog pen, and was so hungry after he'd blown everything he had. He's slopping the hogs, and he makes this statement to himself. He gets to thinking, you know, the servants at Daddy's house are doing better than me. I, I think I ought to go back home. And so he gets his, I can see him headed home. If I, 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 I know I'm no longer worthy to be a son, but when I get there, I'm just telling Daddy, Daddy, I blew it. I know, I know I messed up, but Daddy, when I get here, just let me be a servant. Daddy, I, I, I messed up, but if you'll just let me be a servant. I can't be a son any longer, but just let me be a servant. I, I, I think he was practicing that speech over and over in his mind as he's walking back to home. But oh, what I want you to realize is this. I haven't jumped off of my message yet. When he got close to home, Daddy saw him. He yells out to the folks, get the stuff ready. Get the robe I've got ready for him. I want to put this on him. I want to do this for him. And he grabs that boy, and the boy starts in about this and that and the other. And he says, welcome home, my son. Daddy never said one word about you can be my servant. He just simply said, you are my son. Welcome home. When I was a kid, we had gardens. I didn't say a garden. We had gardens, plural. I remember one time, one year, Dad decided we'd have five different gardens, most of them about the size of this building we're in right here. And I was the teenager, and the rest of them were working. So guess who got to work in the gardens during the day? I wasn't old enough to get a sure enough job, so I was the one that had to, I'll never forget the day, 
That morning he said when he and mom and my sister headed off work, they was old enough to have a job. I want you to go down and dig the potatoes out of the bottom garden. The bottom one was one next to the river. It had been dry. We had planted them and it dried up and we had no way of watering them. My idea of a garden is something about the size of that booth where those drums sit. <coughs> where you can water it and take care of it and all such as that. So I went down there and I would jump on that shovel. We actually even had what they called a potato fork, sort of like a pitchfork, but thicker time. I tried my best, and I couldn't dig them up. I just couldn't get it. ground was too hard. Dad came in that night. He said, you dig the potatoes? I said, no, I didn't, Dad, because I, I can't. What do you mean you can't? I said, I can't get the shovel in the ground. I can't get the pitchfork in the ground. I can't get them in. I said, my idea is let's take the tractor down there and put a plow in the ground and plow them out. No, we're not going to do that. We'll lose too many potatoes. He said, Saturday morning, you and I and Grandpa's going down there and we're going to dig them out. That's okay. Saturday morning, we got up, break of day. We headed down to that garden. I was so happy for what happened. At that time, they both outweighed me. Grandpa was a pretty heavy man, probably about 240. They'd jump on that shovel. They'd kicked on that shovel. They jumped on that potato fork. They kicked on it because Dad was going to show me we're going to dig those potatoes out there. I love my daddy, but this was one day I was so happy. We got finally two hills of potatoes with one potato in each hill out. Dad said, son, go up the house and get the tractor and hook the plow on it. Let's see if we can plow these things out of here. <laughs> I said all that because I know when you plant potatoes, you're eventually going to get potatoes. Now, we had another garden behind the house that we could water. That was the good garden. We put a lot of that stuff that horses don't need any longer on that garden, and it grew very well. It would just produce fabulous. I've learned a couple things about garden. If you plant potatoes, you're probably going to reap potatoes. I learned that when you plant some seeds of corn in the ground, up come some beautiful tall stalks, green stalks, and out of that will be an ear, and then out of that will start producing ears, and, and that tasseling on the comes that, you know, strings out of the top of the corn, whatever it's called, when it turns good and brown, get out there and pick it because you're going to have a good feast of corn. We'd plant beans, and I'd go out and pick those beans and snap them. As far as I was concerned, you ought to buy your peas at the store because it took too long to hull them out. But anyhow, I never one time planted corn and dug potatoes where I planted the corn. No. I never one time planted beans in the ground and stood back and saw cantaloupes come up. No. Anybody knows if you want to grow corn, you plant seeds of corn. If you want to grow tomatoes, you plant a tomato seed or you get a plant, a tomato plant that somebody's already started with a tomato seed. That's how you get them. But Hosea chapter 10 and verse 12, if they can put it on the screen, I want to read to you what it says. Hosea chapter 10 and verse 12 says this, Sow to yourselves in righteousness. They may get it in a second. 
sow to yourselves in righteousness. I'm going to stop in that part of the scripture. I'm going to ask sincerely for a show of hands. How many of you in here have been sowing righteousness? There ought to be a lot of hands go up. You've been sowing some righteousness. In other words, what's righteousness? That means I'm trying to live my best the way God wants me to live. He said, sow to yourself. Sow in righteousness. And then he said, reap in mercy. When I read that, I thought, hmm, this doesn't make sense. Righteousness says you do this according to God's will, you make it. Mercy is a completely different thing than righteousness. If you don't believe me, there's an editor here this morning and straighten you out on it. But mercy says you blew it. Mercy says you're really not deserving of any kind of reward. But the scripture said, the prophet Hosea said, if you'll sow to yourself in righteousness, you'll reap mercy. How's that? I'm going to tell you how it is because I've got a God that made this statement. I reap where I haven't sown and I gather where I haven't strawed. What are you talking about, Brother Cox? Well, let me give you another one. Psalms 126 and 5 says this. They that sow in tears. You're quoting it. You're already quoting it. But it should say, they that sow in tears shall reap tears. But your pastor says that that psalm actually says, they that sow in tears, say it loud. They're going to reap in joy. How does that happen? I'm going to tell you, because I've got a God that says I reap where I haven't sown, and I gather where I haven't strawed. What are you saying, Lord? I'm saying that this little lady that showed up that's unnamed, but everybody in town calls her a sinner. I know what was sown in her life. I know the sin that was sown in her life. And left alone, she's going to wind up a sinner. But no, I'm not leaving her alone. I'm going to see that I gather where I didn't sow. I'm going to get some reaping where I didn't sow. And that's when mercy shows up. Thank God for his mercy. I'm telling you, I do know a God who is a good God. But he's also a God that says, I'll reach out there and I'll get where I haven't sown because there's some of you that need my mercy. I love to tell the story about being a bus ministry. My daddy took the church in Bogalusa. We had an old gold, I think it was a 65 model Chevy school bus. They'd painted gold. Stick shift, no air conditioning, no power steering. And I was 18 years old, and back then you could get a chauffeur license at 18 to drive a bus, and I went and got one because we were going to pick up kids. I'd go around that town on a Saturday 
and I'd park that bus and I and a few others would get up and we'd knock doors and we'd find little kids playing in the streets. Would you like to come to church with me? Most of those little children, congressmen, they weren't dressed pretty like yours are. Most of those little kids were dirty. They didn't smell like they'd had a bath in a little bit. and Some of them, their noses, you know, not cleaned up and dried up on there and just... One day I pulled up in front of the church and dropping those kids off and my dad's standing there, the pastor, and he's giving them hugs and welcoming them in. And we had one of our board members that was probably the wealthiest man in the church came walking out to me on that bus. He made this statement. He said, you're just bribing those kids to get them to church because I'd tell them if you come, I'm going to give you some bubble gum or I'm going to give you some candy and you may like it, may not like it, but I fear if it work if I could get them to church. And he told me, kind of chewed me out, because all you're doing is bribing those kids. I said, yes, sir, I am. I admit it, I'm guilty. I want them in church. You know why I did that? Because I knew that their church could make a difference in their lives. Now, when I'm the district superintendent of a Louisiana district, and I sit down for a board meeting, I look to my left and the man that represents Section 1, Brother Billy Trusley, pastors in Pearl River, a fine man of God. He's married to a girl whose maiden name was Terry McGee, who the first time that I know of ever she came to church was on that gold bus. She didn't have to come on that gold bus very long until Daddy started bringing her. And Daddy got into church, and her daddy is now an apostolic United Pentecostal church licensed minister. Her husband is one of our presbyters, a member of our board. She came on that bus. I never forget one day I was out on the street, and I saw some little kids playing, and I asked them, what's your name? And they told me. And I won't call their names right now for lack of embarrassing them. And when they told me, I said, would you like to ride that bus to church in the morning? You come get on that bus and whatever I told them, I'll give you candy, a bubble gum, whatever I happen to have. Oh, yeah. I said, well, let's go meet your mom and dad. We got to get permission. So they took me to their house. We got to their house. Their dad was laying in the doorway Saturday morning, already passed out drunk. Had to step over him to get to mama. Mama, can we take your kids to church in the morning? Oh, yeah, that'll be fine. That'll be fine. And so we started going by every Sunday and picking up. In fact, the first Sunday when we got there, I was shocked. The three came out that I was expecting. And the mom came out with a baby in her arms and said, take him too. Fortunately, I had another lady on the bus that was a motherly lady. You know, She, she said, oh, yeah, we'll take him and and Sister Sally took care of that little fella that day, probably a two-month-old baby. You see, Mom and Dad weren't, they, 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 they would have never won the medal for Parents of the Year. The dad was an alcoholic, and I don't want to say everything else he was involved in, but I'll tell you this, he had to serve time in the penitentiary later for doing one of the most horrible deeds that can be done to a child. The mother, she was a gambler. And every time she'd get some welfare money, it would be spent. And I can't tell you how many times I'd taken food to that house. And people would say, what are you doing? You know what I was looking at? I was looking at some kids. 
that Satan was sowing in them. They say if your dad's an alcoholic, you're going to be an alcoholic. That's true. Because when you sow corn, you reap corn. But my God said, I reap where I haven't sown. He said, I know some folks that you sow in righteousness, you can reap mercy. Oh, you can sow in tears and you can reap in joy. I'm going to hurry the story up a little bit. Those Out of those four kids that I was bringing to church, two of them right now are licensed United Pentecostal Church ministers. I'm so proud of those boys because they're preaching the gospel today. And what I want to stand and look at the devil one day face to face and say, look at him. You sold in them evil. You sold in them alcoholism. You sold all manner of sin. But I've got a God that said I'll reap where I haven't sold. You see, where sin abounds, grace. That's the name of this church. Grace much more abounds. I'm getting ready to finish because I looked at the clock. Put up because I got too much more to say. It was youth camp time. In fact, Noah told me last night we're eating. He's coming to youth camp this year. Thank God for youth camps. When Noah gets there, there are probably 1,200 more about his age up there. And that's my favorite week of the year is those little ones. Oh, how I love to see those little ones at youth camp. And then comes the next age, and then the older teenagers come in. And so that's the week I'm going to talk about. My son Stephen had, <coughs> excuse me, had gone off to college. And it was youth camp time, and that's all they'd ever known was coming to youth camp. And that particular year, he decided to go ahead and take some courses during the summer and instead of just waiting until the next semester. But he wanted to take a few he said, if I get these in now, I can, you know, he was looking ahead and trying to get his schedule. So he wasn't enrolled at youth camp, but boys wanted to be there so bad. And I said, come every chance you get. So he left after class and he drove down that opening night. And they had the musicians up there playing and singing. And all those kids had gathered up around the front and worshiping the Lord. Probably seven or 800 of them gathered around the front of their teenagers up there praising God singing music that I don't care a thing in the world for, but it's praising God, and that's the good part about it. And the power of the Holy Ghost started coming on that place. And my boy got in late because he was coming from college and from the last class and coming all the way from Ruston back to Tioga. Made him a little late and walked in, and he noticed a boy over there that he was real good friends with that boy's brother. This boy was a couple years younger than him. And he had been real good friends with the other, that boy's brother during high school. He looked over, and I'm not going to call the boy's name. I could, and I may slip up and call him a minute, but I do. I'm sorry. He said, hey, I'm just going to say bud. He said, hey, bud, I'm surprised to see you here. What you doing here? Oh, he said, well, he said, you know, he said, I hadn't seen you all in a while. He said, no, Dad got a different job, and, and we're living, Dad's working in Shreveport. We're living in Bozier City now. And, and he said, uh, some of these guys from the church, he said, they, they play basketball down here during the day, and, and they're wanting to win this year, and I'm real good. And they said, man, come and play on our basketball team with us. So he said, that's why I'm here. So he, my boy said, oh, man, that's great. I'm going to try to remember to call him Bud instead of his real name. That's real good, Bud. That's, that's good. That's good. 
and, and they're standing over there and kind of toward the back of that group. And finally Steve says, hey, bud, you want to walk up there with him? He said, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think I do. And when they got up there, the spirit of the Holy Ghost came in. And thankfully my boy was sensitive enough. He said, bud, would you like to receive that, what you're feeling? He said, yeah. He said, well, you repent of your sin, just throw your hands up in the air. The Lord will fill you with the Holy Ghost. And, and, and Bud did that. He threw those hands up and repented. And directly he started speaking in other tongues. As the Spirit of God gave the utterance, as, as a sign the Holy Ghost was coming in. Oh, he was so happy. And he just worshipped and was so excited. And they were all were. And there were other youngins up there getting in. And so that when, when it was kind of easing down, they never even got to the preaching that night. It was just the worship that brought all that on. And, and they had a class upstairs that they were going to, so they could explain to those that had just got the Holy Ghost, you know, what had happened and show them in the Bible and stuff like that. And so this guy's coming around with his little, uh, you know, notepad thing <clears throat> and, and clipboard and all this stuff. And he comes up, he said, you just got the Holy Ghost? He said, oh, yeah. He said, well, look, I want to invite you upstairs. And, and he said, can you give me a name and all this? And the boy told you, he said, no. No. My boy Steve said, kind of made him wonder what's wrong here. He handed it back. He said, sir, he said, the church I go to, that's how you become a member. He said, what I just got doesn't have nothing to do with membership. <laughs> and so my boy kind of eased the other guy off, you know, like, you know, thank God he had a little wisdom, so... My boy went back with him and another boy and they sat down and they began to talk about the Holy Ghost that he had just received and they opened up the Bible and showed him about it because the boy didn't really know anything about it. He said, you know, I want to call my mom and dad and tell them. My boy Steve says, you know, be careful. They may not be too happy about that. Well, he said, you know, that's right. He thought it. And so they picked the phone up and he called and he says, Dad, and Mom, are you there? And they said, got on the phone. He said, I got something to tell y'all. <laughs> he said, you know, I came down here to this Pentecostal church camp so I could play ball with these boys. He said, but I got to tell you something happened to me tonight that I've never had happen. He said, Mom, Dad, I got the Holy Ghost and I spoke in other tongues and it's the greatest thing I've ever felt in my life. And it was silent on the other end because his mom and dad had been a part of a church and Steve knew where they went that didn't believe that that was possible to happen in this day and time. And he got real quiet and he said again, Mom and Dad, I, I don't know what you think, but let me tell you something. It's really, really real. I know what happened to me. About that time his dad spoke up, he said, Son, we're so happy to hear that. Well, it's kind of relieved. He said, what you don't know is after you and your brother been going to bed every night, your mom and I has been sitting up studying the book of Acts. Said, we even went to our pastor and asked him, said, why in the book of Acts do these people receive the Holy Ghost and speak with tongues, but we don't do it in our church? And he said, the pastor said, I really don't have an answer for you, but you go home and seek God. And he said, son, your mom and I have been praying 
every night for God to fill us with that same Holy Ghost that they got in the book of Acts. He said, maybe when you get home, you can teach us how to get what you just got. You know what I want to tell you today? I've got a God that says I'll reap where I haven't sown. No, there hadn't been any doctrine sown in their lives, but I've got a God that said I'll come down. I know how to gather where I haven't strong. Would you stand with me? And I know that this building is being dedicated on behalf of Brother and Sister Alexander. What made me so happy about that was every time somebody walks in that building, there's a place over there where that beautiful flag that the congressman presented me is going to be placed in a, in a nice trophy box and it's going to tell the story below. When they go over there and realize that they're being honored with their name on that building, not because they gave a ton of money. And I appreciate every one of you craftsmen in here that donated time, labor, materials, whatever. Thank you for that. God bless you so much for that. But when they show up and see that Alexander building over there, they're going to recognize it's there, not because somebody gave a lot of money, but because there was somebody that said, I know what I've got, and I'm staying with it until I see the fulfillment thereof. Yes, Brother Murphy may have been living when you came. There's several hundred out here today. That's a lot of difference. And several hundred's not going to be the last of this. You say, why? Because God is getting ready to reap where he hasn't sown. There's some of you elders here been sowing in tears. Oh yeah. You've been sowing in righteousness. You're getting ready to reap in mercy and in joy. What do you mean, Brother Cox? What I'm saying is you may have a lost husband or a lost wife or a lost son or daughter or whatever it is. You just keep sowing in those righteousness and sowing in tears because I've got a God that's going to come in and reap where he hadn't sown. He knows how to reach in their heart and bring them back. Say, how can that be? Because God is so incredible that He's willing to take the least and the worst of what you have and cleanse it up and turn it into the best and make it for Him. No, he's not going to ask you to be the servant. <laughs> he's going to put that robe back around you and call you son. You're not going to have to be out there slaving in the hog pen any longer. He's going to call you and say, come on in. We're going to rejoice. I know it's dedication time and maybe you're a little piss patch your lunchtime and I apologize for that. But if you're here this morning... And you need the Lord. I've got hope for you. You can find Him right here. Because I'm getting ready to ask everybody in this place to make their way forward. And I'm going to turn it to your pastor in just a minute. And he's going to be the one that's going to do the asking. But when he begins to ask you to come forward...
I want for some of you that may have been out there hurting, agonizing, wondering what my next step is going to be. I wanted you to make sure that you come forward with these others and let God come flowing in your heart today. No, you probably don't feel worthy right now. And neither did that little lady that happened to make her way in uninvited. But when she got in His presence, that's when the tears began to flow. And that's when His mercy began to come down. Not for the religious fanatics of that day, but for the lady who said, I'm a sinner, and I know I'm a sinner, but oh, I know who you are. Let's trust in Jesus right now, Brother Murphy. Would you come? Praise God.